Well, hey, King's Arms, it is great to be with you today. And I want us to look at this issue of addiction. You know, the, the COVID has massively affected us in so many ways in the last year, but one of the key ways, I believe, is in this area of addiction. I was speaking to a friend who, he had been speaking to three or four of his friends, and he said that all four of them were battling addiction to pornography that they never had before this year, in this uh, season of lockdowns and, and COVID. And, and it's not just pornography. Uh, it's a gambling, uh, addiction to internet shopping, addiction to food and overeating. The addictions are just going through the roof in our society. One report that I saw finished with this conclusion, COVID-19 and addiction are the two pandemics which are on the verge of collision, causing major public health threat. So as we look at this theme, as we're looking at the, at the beginning of this term on the, on the living whole and healthy in a post-lockdown world, I want us to look at walking through, free from addiction because the point is this, if you're watching this and, or listening to this, either you're battling an addiction or a mild one or a major one or someone you know or love is battling an addiction or someone you're about to meet is battling addiction. It is just everywhere in our society at the moment. The good news is Jesus is a friend of addicts. He's a friend of addicts. And his church, his family, should be a safe place for addicts to come and find freedom and find hope in Jesus. And my own story tells me that. You know, I've known numbers of addictions throughout my, my life, even my Christian life. You know, as many of you will know, I've told my story of addiction to pornography. I was addicted to internet pornography before most people even knew what the internet was. I was addicted to mobile phones before most people even had a mobile phone. I was been addicted to work and many, many other things. I've known the, the shame, the despair, the isolation, the, the fear of addiction and the, the feeling of crying out to God and feeling like the heavens are like concrete, nothing's getting through. I've known that, but I've also known the joy of coming into family, to community, of knowing a, a brother walk me through into freedom from my addictions, of, the, of confessing my sin and knowing forgiveness and love and, uh, and, uh, and joy as people pray for me and minister to me. I've known both sides of this and I know that Jesus is a friend of addicts and he has uh, created a community, a family that's a safe place for addicts to come and find that freedom. So let me just pray for us as we look at this important subject today. Jesus, help us. Jesus, you know that I'm not a health professional, I'm not an addiction expert, but you are, and you know what you're doing, and you've brought me into freedom, and you're going to bring many others into freedom through this message as we look at your word together. I just thank you, Lord, that you have the words of eternal life. Speak, Lord, through this subject, I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's one go-to passage that I, I look at when I'm looking at this subject, and I hadn't seen it for years. I'd read this passage many, many times, but I'd never looked at it through the lens of change, of freedom, of transformation. And it's uh, Mark 12, 28. And let me just read it to us. One of the scribes, that's one of the religious leaders, came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he said to Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important of all is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these when Jesus is put on the spot 
he summarizes everything in this kind of one, this one sentence, this, this uh, sentence that he says, love the Lord, which is re- referencing back to one of the commandments given in the earlier parts of the scriptures. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we know from John 14 that Jesus also said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So when he talks about love, it's not this wishy-washy sentimental kind of thing. When Jesus talks about love, it's the fiery, passionate following of him, of putting his words, his, uh, uh, his uh, words, into obedience, into life within us. And so uh, Jesus is saying in this uh, commandment, what he's saying is this, if you align yourself in your head, he says, love of God with your mind. If you align yourself in your innermost being, in your heart, he talks about the the soul and the heart. And if you align yourself in in your actions, he talks about the the actions or the the, uh, strength, uh, we can use the word hand. If you align yourself in your head, your heart and your hand with me, with God, then you will live the free life, the righteous life. You will live in a place of freedom. And and you, you see, of course, this is God's plan. That actually, ultimately, when the world, when all of humanity line up in their head, in their heart and their hand with the Lord himself, when we line up with him, then heaven will come onto earth. Then, then light will flow into darkness. There will be no more sin or suffering. That will be God's kingdom fully realized. And we're not yet there yet, but we are moving and working towards that place where every one of humanity aligns themselves with God in their head, in their heart, and in their hand. So let's look at, look at these, and we don't have much time, but I want to just give you the kind of headlines. And as I said, I'm not a health professional, but I believe as we look at this together, these things will help us. They've certainly helped me. So the head is the thinking. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Bringing change always starts with the thinking. A silly example, uh, some years ago, my assistant Hannah was leaving. She was moving overseas, and just, on the, just for fun on the last day, I asked her, Hannah, how, um, uh, what's my favorite color? And she said, gray, and I was so annoyed. I was like, I went home, I was so upset, and Caroline said, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, I, you know, I asked Hannah, it's the last day, I was upset about that, and I said, and I asked her, what's my favorite color? And she's worked with me for like four years, three or four years, and she said, gray, but it's just not, and I said, why gray? And she said, because of what you wear, and I was like, oh, that's just horrible. And so anyway, I, I said, and it's not true anyway, and Caroline said, well, let's go and have a look. And so we went into our room, and we opened my wardrobe, and there it was, a sea of gray. And that simple moment, and as you can see now, I'm in green and gray, but that simple moment, uh, changed me. My wardrobe began to change. I'd never bought a grey item of clothing since that day. And my wardrobe over time has changed, but it started with a change in my thinking. How does thinking change? And particularly through this, this uh, subject today that we're looking at, addiction, how does it change? And there's so much I could say, but a couple of headlines. One is point to the destination. Jesus again and again showed people an image of the kingdom of God. He showed them what the kingdom was like. He painted this picture of where we're headed, what the kingdom of God is like, where there's no mourning and there's no sickness and there's no, and there's no um, uh, suffering anymore, where God's will is perfectly realized on earth. They want, by the time he'd finished, they wanted the kingdom more than anything else. He pointed to the destination and he changed their thinking. I remember one man who was battling addiction, and I said to him, look, what I want you to do is every morning, I want you to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am going to be free from you, addiction. There is no addiction in heaven, and I am going to be free from you one day. It's just a matter of time until I'm free. And I said, it's especially important that you do it on a day after you failed the day before. 
Start looking to where you're gonna go. Now, what was I doing? I was pointing him to the destination. Why? Because what happens then is when we start changing our thinking like this, it gives us hope. And hope is a key ingredient in the cocktail of change. When we start to get hope, very often addicts are hopeless, but when we start to get hope, our thinking starts to change towards hope something starts to shift. So that's the first thing we've got to do if we want to get free from addiction is to start looking at the destination. You will be free. I can say that to you right now. If you're a follower of Christ, you will be free one day. You will be free. There's just It's just a matter of time. Start telling yourself that every day and you'll start the beginning process of changing your thinking. And the second thing that's critical is to shine the light on identity. What Jesus did again and again was he showed the disciples who they now were. I mean, just one example, the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus uh, has this problem, he's got 5,000 people and no food. The disciples come to him, you know, clucking, saying, ah, you know, we're in this panic, we're in this situation, we've got no food. What does he do? He says, you give them something to eat. And of course, immediately they're like, no, we can't do it and blah, blah, blah. And, and then what does he do? He takes the problem back off them and he then does it. But in doing it, he says, it says he looked to heaven. He showed them that his source was the, was the father, that his identity was linked to the fathers and they were the ones who could have done it in the same way that he did it. He demonstrated that their identity was now transformed. His main task was to live out of his identity and to train those around him to live out of their new identity. And so when you're addicted, you see yourself as a hopeless failure. You often will tell yourself that you're a hopeless failure. But the truth is that if you are a follower of Jesus, that couldn't be further from the truth. You may even be behaving like a hopeless failure, but you're still not a hopeless failure. You may even be behaving like a hopeless failure, but you are still not a hopeless failure, even if you are behaving that way. Why? Because if you're in Christ, your identity has been transformed. You are now a child of the living God. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been given a, a purpose and, a, and meaning. You, you, you've, you've been loved with an everlasting love before the creation of the world. If you're battling addiction, you've got to know these things to know these things and to meditate on them. That's what the Bible uses of that word, to meditate. And the, and the word is like the, a cow chewing the cud, to chew these things over. Turn to your neighbor and, and say, be like a cow, you cow. No, no, don't say that to so, Say, be like a cow, be like a cow. Chew these things over. Chew these things over in your minds. What it does is put them on your screensaver, put them on your phone, put them somewhere on your mirror, somewhere that you will see them every day. Your identity in Christ has been transformed. And the more you start to line up with that in your head, the more you will start to behave like it. The more you tell yourself who you're not, I'm a hopeless failure, you're not that anymore. So the more you tell yourself that, the more you'll behave like that. But the more you tell yourself who you now are and believe it in your heart, the more you will be changed. So many more things I could say, but the head, the thinking is key. And linked to that is the second area, the heart. It's the seat of the emotions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. We've got to get the emotions, Jesus said, lined up with God. The head is not enough. So many people try and change and battle addiction just by the thinking, just by looking at the thinking. But actually, that's not enough. You've got to align the heart. And, 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 and the reality is, if you've ever made a New Year's resolution, you know this. Some of you made New Year's resolutions and you failed by the end of January. And some of you can't even remember what your New Year's resolutions were. What does that mean? You thought about the New Year's resolution. You thought it was a great idea. But what happened? The heart wasn't engaged. 
And I've done it myself many times. You, you think it's a great idea in December, it sounds awesome, but by the end of January, it's already gone. And you sometimes, by the end of February, you can't even remember what it was. Why? That, this is, someone once said this, the head starts the change, but the heart sustains the change. The head starts to change, but the heart sustains, just sustains the change. The heart is the thing that sustains things. It's the thing that keeps you going on the change that you want to bring about. And so Jesus knew this, and he didn't just start them on down the journey of the thinking change. He started them down the journey of the heart change. He got to their emotions. Well, And how did he do that? How did he engage the emotions? Well, he told provoking stories. I mean, really provoking stories that we sometimes miss in our day, like for example, the Good Samaritan, the story of the, the, the Samaritan who was a, a hated race by the Jews, Jesus turns this guy into a hero and it will have provoked all sorts of feelings in people's hearts as they heard that story. For us, it would be like telling the, the story of the good ISIS terrorist, you know, that, that, that would provoke all sorts of emotions if I were to tell you about a good ISIS terrorist, but Jesus does exactly that. He provokes all sorts of emotions and questions and thoughts. He's engaging the heart in this journey. So how do, how do we do that today? Well, firstly, I would say you've got to find what emotion this addiction is feeding. What emotion this addiction is feeding. Because the big revelation for me, and for many of the people that I've helped and talked with about addiction over the years, is this. The drive to watch pornography is not about sex. The drive to eat food, to overeat food, is not actually about hunger. It's very often about intimacy. Not always, but very often it's about intimacy. So the solution is first to find the intimacy need that needs to be fed. That's the emotion. It's this need, the emotional need for connection with other people that's being, uh, that's being, that's, that's craving. And if you fill that emotional need with, with healthy intimacy, with male and female friends, with, with uh, um, uh, uh, relationships that are deep and meaningful and rich, if you fill your life with these, then the, the drive for, to fulfill this kind of hole through some illicit addiction will be broken. It will start to be broken. The, the power of it will start to be broken. It might be that the, you, as you identify, identify what, the, what the root cause of this addiction is, you can start to deal with the root rather than just the shoots. That the issue might be about boredom. The issue of your addiction might be about boredom, which is what? It's that the need, the emotional need for adventure. We all need adventure. So maybe you're not getting adventure. Well, if you find healthy adventure, very often you break the power of this drive, this need for illicit adventure. It might be about stress. It might be that you need emotionally to de-stress and that your addiction is the best way you found up until now to de-stress. Well, what about if you found a new way? What would it look like to find a different way? That wasn't, it's actually, because we, we, you de-stress through addiction, you actually create another kind of stress, the shame and the guilt and all that. What about if you found a healthy de-stress? What would that look like? Do you see my point? We often focus on the addiction rather than focusing on the emotional need that the addiction is actually trying to feed. And if we deal with the emotional need first, then of course the power of that addiction is reduced. One way to, to work out what, what the emotional need is, is to actually start a little journal. Start a journal whenever you mess up, whenever you feel the passion of that addiction rising, work out what's going on. 
What, try and write down what your life's been like. Are you super busy at work? Or to write down when it happens. When does this drive happen? When in the day does it happen? Think about these things and what you'll do is you'll find, start to plot patterns and themes and work out what's really going on. Start to question yourself. Why am I doing this? Why am I really doing this? What is the drive? You know, if you want to stop a runaway car, you can do two things. You can pull on the brake or you can take your foot off the accelerator, off the gas. There's two ways of handling this. And so many I've found want to handle a runaway car of addiction by yanking on the brake all, all the harder. Whereas actually, learning to take your foot off the gas, what's driving this thing, take your foot off the accelerator, is far more effective than just yanking on the brake. Of course, the brake's needed, but actually taking your foot off the accelerator is a key part to freedom. The second part of the emotional need, I think, which is critical, and there's, again, so many things I could say, but it's crucifying self-pity. The biggest emotional drive that I've found with addiction, that drives addiction, certainly in my life, but also in others that I've talked to, is this feeling of self-pity, of this feeling of, uh, um, I need this, I deserve this. Just the desire to numb your soul with it. That, that when self-pity gets hold of your soul, addiction goes absolutely rampant. So I, I've recognised that the battle for addiction over the course of my life, the battle for things that want to creep in and start becoming addictions again, starts with actually not the battle with the addiction itself, but with the battle with self-pity. Dealing with that self-pity is critical to loosening the grip of some of these things that want to become addictions in our lives. So, for example, I've got a list of nine things that help me battle self-pity. Worship is one of them. Generosity is another one. Giving away. Recognising that self-pity is a demonic um, uh, attack on me. That Self-pity comes like a friend, doesn't it? It wants to be your friend. It pretends to be your friend, but actually it's a demonic attack. Recognising that. And I've got nine things that I read through regularly, and I practice these things regularly, because I know what it's doing is it's starting to inoculate me against self-pity, which helps me to battle addiction. Third thing then, the hand. How do we uh, love the Lord our God with our strength, with our hands? The, the head starts the change, the heart sustains the change, but it's the hand that actually enables the change. And Jesus taught his disciples about dealing with the hand, dealing with the actual actions. What do we then do? Not just to change our thinking or even to deal with our emotions, but we've got to do something. How do we do that? Well, well one way is to change the environment. Very often it's the environment that we're in that creates the toxic drive towards addiction. And Jesus knew this, that, that as he was helping his disciples walk free from sin and the things that were toxic in them and around them, he had to change the environment. He drove out the money changers from the temple. He allowed male and female disciples, men and women, to be discipled by him together. He changed the environment around him so that people could walk into freedom. What does it mean for you in addiction? What does it mean for us in addiction? The, the first thing I would say, the, the most critical thing, if you forget everything else I've said, remember this, is to break isolation. Addiction thrives in isolation when we're alone. And one of the key things is to change the environment of isolation. It's to bring yourself into community. The best thing I did when I was in my, in my 20s, um, 19 maybe it was, uh, when I was, uh, um, I'd been battling addiction for years by then already, the first thing that helped me was telling an older guy in the church that I had this battle with pornography. And telling him that, I was expecting his rejection and his revulsion. Instead, he put his arm around me and said, my dear poor boy, and he wept with me and prayed with me. And I've had the joy of being able to do the same thing with many others. You see, 
coming into community, breaking that shame, changing the environment from isolation to community is the critical thing to helping the hand. It's an action that we can all take. And, it, and it's fearful, and I know that. And some of you, your, your heart is pounding even as you're listening to this because you've lived in shame and isolation for so long. But I just want to urge you, it will be the best thing that you ever did. Find someone that you can trust, a leader, a, a, a friend, ideally not someone who's got the same battle that you have. Find someone who, who can help you walk into freedom in this area. Someone that you know has walked into freedom themselves. Find someone who can help you. Some of you will need professional help. That's okay. There's no shame in that. You can email the pastoral team, pastoral at kingsarms.org. If you feel like, no, I've got this thing is really, really life, life dominating. I'm going to need some professional help. Then email them. They can help you as well. Just recognize that coming, changing the environment is key to helping the next step, the hand, the actual, the actions. And then the last thing is uh, what's next, to show what's next. Very often I'm talking about uh, people about change, they're stuck, they can't change because there's so many different things, there's so many things they could do that they're almost paralyzed with choice. I remember uh, years ago there was a company with a, uh, uh, they were wanting to sell jam. And in one supermarket they set out a table with 24 different jams. In another supermarket, they set out a table with six different jams. Well, what happened? In the supermarket with 24 different jams, more people tried the jam, but less people bought the jam. In the supermarket with six jams, less people tried the jam, but more people bought the jam. In fact, 10 times more people bought the jam in the supermarket with six jams. Why? Because the choice is killing us. The choices that we have today are killing us. They are paralyzing us from actual change. And so Jesus knew this. He knew that very often we just need the next thing. What should we do next? John 16 verse 12 says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. And then he tells them what they need to do next. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait till the power comes upon you. One of uh, our leaders in, uh, in uh, Uganda, one of our catalyst leaders in Uganda, called a guy called Emmanuel, phenomenal guy, leads many churches there. He was wrestling with this issue of finance. He didn't want to be dependent on the West the whole time. He was like, Lord, you've got to provide. And this is what the Lord said to him. Do not beg. You do what you can and I'll do what you can't. I love that. Do not beg. You do what you can and I'll do what you can't. So as we finish this time together, I know we've only literally only been able to scrape the surface of this, but as we finish this time, I want us to ask the Holy Spirit, what's next? The hand, when it knows what's next, can start to move. It can start to help us move. What's next for you? Let's ask the Holy Spirit now, what do you need to do next? And if you're helping someone else, you can be talking with them about that. What's the next step? Don't, don't let's look at 10 different things we can do. Let's look at the one thing that we need to do next. Maybe it's coming into community. Maybe it's starting to change our thinking. What is next that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about? Thanks so much for, for listening. I hope this was helpful. Let me just pray for us as we come into a conclusion. Remember, we've got to help to, help to we've got to align ourselves. We've got to live out of this healthy heart, uh, healthy, healthy head, healthy thinking, healthy heart, and healthy hand. All three of these as they align, we will build a community that helps people come into freedom from addiction. Let me just pray for us. Jesus, I just pray that you take these few uh, stumbling, faltering words of mine uh, today and you would empower them by your spirit and empower them to change. I thank you that you want a free church. You died for a free people and you want us to be agents of freedom. So many in our society battling addiction. We want to start with our own house first, Lord, and walk into freedom ourselves, walk into life ourselves. We pray, Lord, that in our, in our, in our weakness and our faltering, we would recognize who we are in you, and we would step into a new identity, our new identity 
of those who are free and who bring freedom to those around us. Help each one who's listening to this to find the help that they need, to find the friendship and the community that they need, that the church will be a place where addicts can come and walk into freedom. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening.